0: Amen. Thank you, ladies. Great thought, great song. You may uh, remember uh, in Exodus when God spoke to Moses from the burning bush. uh, He said, who should I say sent me? And God replied from the burning bush, I am that I am. And uh, what a great, great thought from the Bible. Amen. I want to encourage you to read it. Go ahead and get in your Bible to Psalm 102. Psalm 102. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, there should be one near you. It's got a hard black cover. We will be on page 468, uh, Psalm 102. We have been working our way on Sunday mornings through a series called Great Truths Communicated with Simple Words. Profound things, of course, are best communicated when they are communicated through the vehicle of simplicity. When we communicate difficult truths with big words, they are often misunderstood, and sometimes not understood at all. And so God makes sure that the things that are the most important to Him are communicated to us with simple terms, and He very often repeats them in some way for clarity and emphasis. And months ago, from a list of 916 verses in our Bible that are all one-syllable words, with the exception of a name or a place, I prayerfully put together a series of thoughts on this subject. Last Sunday morning, we talked about the fact that we can run, but we cannot hide. And in the simplest terms, God made sure we understand that we cannot hide from our conscience or from Him. And though people can hide from a seared or a defiled conscience, they cannot hide from a healthy one. And we challenged one another to make sure that as parents and as a church, we do what we can to help people have a healthy Uh, Conscience. And even if you run from a seared and a defiled conscience, you cannot run from God Himself. Uh, Listen, whatever we choose to do in this life, it will either catch up to us in this life or it will catch up to us in the next one, whether we do good or whether we do evil. And we closed encouraging one another not to grow so weary in well doing that we give up because God will fully and faithfully award reward those who have served and suffered and sacrificed for the Lord Jesus Christ as believing people. This morning, I want to talk about an aspect of the character of our Creator and Savior. Uh, if you've been around for very long, you have heard me say many times that the greatest form of idolatry in America has nothing to do with Baal or Astaroth or Chemosh or any of the idols uh, that we find uh, in the Scripture, the greatest idolatry in America is using the name of God or Jesus and attaching a personality to that name that is something that we like rather than a way that God has revealed Himself to be. Uh, Listen, God is who He is. Jesus Christ is who He is. Uh, He is not one thing to you and something else and different to me. He is who He is. Uh, Many, many years ago, I did a Sunday Sunday morning series on God is, and then we filled in the blank. That was a long, long time ago. In fact, it was 2007. And uh, one of my desires, and I think one of the desires of the great majority of the people here, is to learn and find out who God reveals Himself to be and then to accept and believe and follow Him as He is. The character quality of God we're going to discuss today is often overlooked. But though often overlooked, it is one of the qualities of God's character that makes a huge difference on a day-to-day basis for each of us here today. There's a story told about two Navy ships many years ago who were assigned to training exercises to practice maneuvers in bad weather. And after several days of bad weather, because the visibility was poor and the fog was thick, the captain chose to remain on the bridge to keep an eye on everything that was going on. And shortly after dark, the lookout reported a light on the starboard bow. The captain called to signal the ship, We are on a collision course. I advise you to change course 20 degrees. The signal came back, advisable for you to change course 20 degrees. The captain was a little bit angry, and he said, well, this time, send, I'm a captain, change course 20 degrees. The reply came back, I'm a seaman, second class, but you need to change course 20 degrees. By this time, the captain was furious, and he just shouted out, send, I'm a battleship, change course 20 degrees. The light flashed back, I'm a lighthouse. Guess who needed to change? Hear me when I say there are some things that are unmovable and unchangeable, and one of them is God. If you're able to stand, if you would stand this morning, please, in honor of God's Word. The title of my thought this morning is the Savior who never changes. The Savior who never changes. Psalm 102, verse 23. says, He weakened my strength in the way. He shortened my days. I said, O my God, take me not away in the midst of my days. Thy years are throughout all generations. Of old hast thou laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment. As a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same and thy years shall have no end. The children of thy servants shall continue, and their seed shall be established before thee. Thank you, might be seated. And though we are not directly given the name of the human pen in the hand of God for Psalm 102, we are given the circumstances under which it was written. Look at the introduction to Psalm 102. It says, a prayer of the afflicted. When he's overwhelmed, and poureth out his complaint before the Lord. By the way, those intros to the Psalms, those are part of the text. Amen. Those are not a part of a study Bible notes. I use a study Bible. I recommend a Schofield study Bible, and there are other good ones as well. But those are not from the study notes. Those are part of the text. I hope you understand each of the Psalms are actually an inspired song. And the lyrics of the songs, they don't sing well when they're translated from Hebrew to English, but the truth of the inspired words are just as powerful and true when they're translated into English. By the way, for anyone who is interested, the 150 inspired songs uh, contained in the book of Psalms, they are not characterized by repetition, like the songs that are wrongly called worship music today. For anyone who's interested, the inspired songs, they're in the Bible. They are characterized by doctrine, by history, by knowledge of God, by the struggles of the songwriter, by the way that God would respond to the songwriter. They're they're nothing at all like the highly repetitive music of today. Now you may disagree, but I will take the kind of lyrics in songs that mirror the inspired songs in the Bible. I'm not teaching on this uh, this morning, but in a nutshell, that's why we purposely sing the kind of songs we do at Bible Baptist Church. Purposely. Uh, Unfortunately, you and I live in a culture where the average Christian is looking for music that they like. Listen, when your first question is, what kind of music do I like, instead of your first question being, what kind of music does God like, you're never going to get the right answer. Last I knew, worship really was supposed to be about what God likes, rather than what we like, right? In this particular case, this song called Psalm 102 is the prayer of a believer who is afflicted and pouring out his complaint before Jehovah. Now, I don't believe we're really supposed to complain to the people around us. In fact, one of the qualities in someone that makes them least favorable to hang around is that they're always complaining about something. In fact, you'll notice that very often we complain to people, and the people to whom we complain actually can't do anything about the circumstance. On the other hand, I do believe that we are supposed to, as believers, take our concerns and situations in our life when we do not understand or do not agree at times with the way God is handling things, I do believe that we are supposed to take those situations to Him. Our Heavenly Father is interested in what goes on in our life. But understand this, that God does not look at our life and He does not handle our problems, or He does not take the difficulties of our life in the same manner that we do, He has a different perspective. Notice the psalmist rightly understood that His weakness and difficult situation were in God's hands. Verse 23, He weakened my strength in the way. He shortened my days. By the way, God is good. and Because God is good, God causes everything to work out together for good for those who love Him and those who are doing what He has called them to do. But even though all things work together for good, that does not mean that each individual thing is not hard or difficult. In fact, in this particular case, the psalmist seems to be so afflicted and so overwhelmed that he thought he would die. He thought his days would be shortened. So what he does in those circumstances is that he prays to God to spare him and he reminds himself that God doesn't look at time the same way we do. And he does that in verses 24 and 25. He said, I said, oh my God, take me not away in the midst of my days. Thy years are throughout all generations. Of old hast thou laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of thy hands. You see, God has existed from eternity past. He has no beginning in contrast to the earth and heaven that were created just a few thousand years ago. And in contrast to the earth and heaven, at best, you and I get 80 to 100 years here. See, I hope you understand that generations have come and gone since the days of Adam and and the Garden of Eden, but God has always been God. And it's not just the early chapters of Genesis that teach that God is the creator. There are some ignorant people that say, well, uh, you know, evolution is true. And the first few chapters of Genesis are are a myth. Uh, Listen, the first few chapters of Genesis are an historical account. And many authors, both in the Old and New Testament, including Jesus himself, uh, attributed the creation to God. Listen, molecules to man, evolution is a lie. Now compared to us, the heavens and earth seem to be eternal, but they're not. Uh, They not only are not eternal, they're going to be changed by God someday. Verse 26, uh, they shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment as a vesture. Shalt thou change them and they shall be changed. You see, when the thousand year millennial reign of Christ is complete and Satan is finally and forever cast into the lake of fire. God will remake the heaven and the earth. He will restore them to what they were before man messed them up. By the way, I'm not talking about man in the Industrial Revolution, though that's included. I'm talking about man when he messed them up in the Garden of Eden. By the way, if you're a movie person, uh, the movie in the world that is displayed in the movie Avatar can't hold a candle to what the world will be like when God remakes it. Jehovah God, the Creator and God of the Bible has and will endure through it all. He is an everlasting God. And so in the simplest terms, the psalmist contrasts heaven and earth being changed with our changeless creator. Notice the contrast in verse 7 begins with the word but. So he's contrasting what he said in verse 26 with what he says in simple terms in verse 27. But thou art the same and thy years shall have no end. All single syllable words, a great truth about a changeless creator in simple words. You see, God is the same today as He was 6,000 years ago when He created the heaven and earth and He said, let there be light. God is the same today as He was 4,500 years ago when Noah and his family set their foot back on dry land and He promised not to destroy the world anymore with a flood. God is the same today as He was 3,000 years ago when the psalmist was afflicted and overwhelmed and penned Psalm 102 under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. God is the same today as He was 2,000 years ago when He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God is the same today as He will be when Christ returns in the clouds before the seven-year tribulation for His own. God is the same today as He will be when Christ returns in power and glory to crush and melt the enemy armies of the world assembled in the valley of Megiddo. He is the same today as He will be then. God is the same today as He will be when Christ rules this world for a thousand years. When Jerusalem is the capital of the world and Israel is the head of the nation and faithful believers will rule and reign with Christ. God is the same. He's the same today as He'll be a million years from today. His years shall have no end. He is the Lord and He never changes. Just like it says here in Psalm 102 and just like it says in Malachi 3.6, when it says, I am the Lord, I change not. You see, the God of the Old Testament is the same exact God of the New Testament. It's just that each testament, God manifests and emphasizes a different part of his changeless character. But Jehovah is the same changeless God from Genesis 1 through Revelation 22. The theological term for this aspect of our creator's character is immutability. God is immutable. Immutable simply means not subject or susceptible to change, fixed, unmovable, unalterable, constant, unchangeable. Now at first glance, when we hear or read about the immutability of God, it may seem to us like that's not that important of a quality, but it is actually very important. You see, God's unchangeableness is part of the reason why you and I can trust Him. You see, because God never changes, you and I can study what God did and what He wanted in the Old Testament and apply that to us today. Because God never changes, you and I can study the life of Jesus, not only the things He did, but the things that He said, and know that they're just as true today as they were when Christ said them. Because God never changes, we can take the message of the New Testament to our world today. Because God never changes, the morality of the Bible has never changed, even though our world has and increasingly becomes more and more immoral. Because God never changes, the plan of salvation hasn't changed. Salvation is still by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is still a sinner humbling themselves to believe in a resurrected Christ and call upon Him with a humble heart of faith. That salvation that's taught through the New Testament is still the plan of salvation because God never changes. In 1961, Alan Shepherd became the second person and the first American to travel into space. I'm told that he was asked by a reporter just before he entered the space capsule, the reporter asked him this, what is the one thing you're depending on most in this space venture? Alan Shepard supposedly said, I am depending on the fact that God's laws never change. You see, just like we can depend on the natural laws God established to remain constant and unchangeable, which is why calculus and chemistry and physics always work, Just like we can depend on those natural laws never to change unless God himself, the creator of natural law, steps in to override natural law because he is the creator and cause a miracle to occur. Unless God does that, we always count on his laws to be changeless because we have an immutable and a changeless God. By the way, thanks be unto God for this great aspect of his character. His immutability is one of the sources of our security. It's one of the reasons you and I can be confident in how to live our life and what's going to happen in eternity. God never changes. And so what I'd like to do this morning is make some observations and applications of the immutability of God our Creator. You would, please first turn in your Bible to Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13. Oh, I love to hear pages turn. I would to God that everybody followed along in their Bible. Check out what I got to say. By the way, if people took their Bible and followed along to what a lot of people standing behind pulpits say, they wouldn't stay there. Number one. Jesus Christ is the same today as He was when He walked on this earth. Jesus Christ is the same today as when He walked on this earth. Hebrews 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. By the way, you may recognize that we sing that chorus here. It's directly from the Scripture. Jesus is the same today as He was yesterday, and He's the same as He will be tomorrow. Listen, Jesus Christ is still the only way to the Father. When He said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man cometh unto the Father, but by me, that has not changed. That that didn't change when Muhammad came on the scene. That didn't change when Mary Baker Eddy came on the scene. That didn't change when Joseph Smith came on the scene. That didn't change when Charles Taze Russell came on the scene. Jesus Christ is and always will be the only way to the Father. In fact, if you've never humbled yourself to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and call upon Him to forgive and save you, today's a good day to do that. Because He's still the only way to the Father. He's the same. Not only is He still the only way to the Father, He still expects His disciples to be faithful and committed. I hope you recognize what's going on in general in American Christianity. Seventy and eighty and a hundred years ago the battle was over is the Bible the word of God and is Jesus the Son of God and is salvation by grace. Today that's not the battle. Today the battle is what does it mean to be a disciple? Is being a disciple of Jesus, is it something that's careless? Is it something that's casual? Is it something that's easygoing? Is it something that you kind of add to the rest of your life? Or is being a disciple of Jesus something that's demanding? Let me read you three brief things Jesus said. If you take notes, write them down. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Is that casual or demanding? Right, Luke 14, 27, Jesus said, Whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. Is that casual or demanding? Right, John 8, 31, he said, If ye continue in my word, then shall ye be my disciples indeed. You see, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Discipleship was not just demanding when Jesus was here. It's still demanding to be a follower of Jesus. Because He is the same. He still loves the people of the world. He still hates sin. He still especially hates the sin of hypocrisy. Listen, you find Jesus speaking tough, and he spoke uh, tough to two groups. He spoke tough to religious hypocrites, and he spoke tough to his disciples who knew better. He didn't speak tough to sinners out there like so many Christians do and so many churches focus on. Those were the people he was tough on. And by the way, he hasn't changed. Listen, if you humbly come to Him with open arms, He's there today just like He was to the woman at the well. He's here today if you're a believer already and you've been wayward and you've been cold and you've been distant from Christ. His arms are still open to you like they were to Peter to come home after he said something stupid. If you openly defy Him and openly reject Him, He will still deny and reject you. If you call upon His name, even in the last moments of life, like the thief on the cross next to Him and said, Lord, remember me when Thou comest into Thy kingdom. And even then, in the last moments of His own life. He said, today shalt Thou be with me in paradise. Listen, in your last breath, after living a wasted life in unbelief, if you would call upon Christ because He hasn't changed, He's still hear you if you come to Jesus as a child remember the parents bringing their children to Jesus so that he would bless them and the apostles are like no no he's too busy for that and he said wait a minute guys suffer the little children and forbid them not to come unto me for of such is the kingdom of God listen whoever you are though the people in your life may not seem like they ever have time or interest in you he's the same he's got time Stories told about a man visiting Columbus, Ohio. He was being driven to deliver a lecture at Ohio State University. Notice I did not say the Ohio State University. <laughs> and while he was driving to the lecture, uh, they passed by a building called the Wexner Art Center. And allegedly, as they passed by the building, the driver said to the man delivering the lecture, he said, this is a new art building for the university. It's a fascinating building designed for the postmodernist view of reality. The building has lobbies that are not square, nooks and stairways with dead ends, huge beams plumbing down from the, uh, plunging down from the ceiling only to stop in midair before hitting the floor. There isn't even an obvious front door. He said, I'm told the architect designed the building to reflect life going nowhere, mindless and senseless. And the passenger turned to the driver describing the building and he asked him a question. Did they do the same thing with the foundation? <laughs> See, the driver last says, hey, you can't do that with a foundation. And I'm here to say to you this morning, listen, sensible people build their life on a foundation that cannot be changed. There's only one individual who is changeless and worthy of being the foundation of our life and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one thing on this planet that is worthy of our complete trust and that is the Word of God. It is the changeless, timeless truth from our Creator to us. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. He is exactly what He once was and always will be. He is Immutable. You need to be saved this morning. You can respond to his loving invitation just like he called to the crowd and said, come unto me. All you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You can respond. Are you a believer this morning? Do you need to repent? By the way, repentance is a good word, almost absent from most modern pulpits. Doesn't matter that John the Baptist's first message was repent, the kingdom of heaven was at hand. Doesn't matter that Jesus' first message was repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Doesn't matter that Peter's first message concluded repent. Listen, if you're a believer, you can repent. You can change directions and we have the same changeless Savior who will be merciful to you and is warm and open As the father was to the prodigal son. You think Jesus has changed to be okay with your sin, okay with your rejection of his grace? You're kidding yourself. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Secondly, this morning, turn back a few pages to 2 Timothy chapter 2, because it's not just that we have a Savior who is changeless, the same yesterday, today, and forever. See, Brother Wally, you are all the time preaching against American Christianity and what's going on. You're right, I am, and I'm going to keep doing it. By the way, if you ever notice, you do not hear me criticizing the people involved. You hear me criticizing a system of beliefs that is contrary to the Scripture and historical biblical Christianity. There are a lot of good people involved in a bad system. Which gets us to our second thing. We're to pass on the same spiritual things to the next generation that we received. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you and I, number two, we're to pass on the same spiritual things to the next generation that we receive. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Thou therefore, my Son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, if these two words aren't underlined or somehow highlighted in the Bible, they ought to be the same. Commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. By the way, that wasn't easy then, nor is it going to be today, which is why he says in verse 3, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? The same things that Timothy heard from Paul among many witnesses, he was supposed to pass the same things on to faithful men who would teach others also. Listen, some things in society, in our lives, and in our workplaces constantly change. But there are some spiritual things that should never change. By the way, I'm not talking about whether we read uh, the words to our songs from a a hymnal or or a screen. Uh, I am talking about the kind of words that are in both those sources being based on content and truth. Uh, I'm not talking about whether we read the words of God uh, in a scroll or in a book or even on a screen on your phone. I use an electronic Bible every day of my life. I just believe you ought to have a paper one you bring to church and read yourself that you make a personal document. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about changing what we do with the words that are in those places. I'm not talking about, well, nothing should change. We need to be dressed like pilgrims instead of 21st century Americans. It's not what I'm Talking about, I'm talking about uh, a kind of respect for what it means to assemble in God's house with God's people. Yeah. See, like nearly every truth in life, there's a ditch on both sides of the narrow road not just to eternal life, but a life that pleases God. See, Paul had some things he'd been directly taught by Christ, and he directly passed the same things on to Timothy. And he wanted to be sure that Timothy who was one generation behind Paul and pastoring in Ephesus at this point, he wanted to be sure that Timothy passed the same things on to those faithful men that he taught. Now there are some people here who are like my wife and myself who were saved as an adult and we were not taught key biblical doctrines and Christian living in the homes in which we were raised. We were raised in good homes, but they were not biblical homes. And so we learned the things of God in the Lord's church. We, we, we learned them from a pastor, we learned them from deacons, we learned them from godly, faithful people in the church that God brought in the circle of our life. That's how we we learned them. And even though we were not raised that way, we became responsible to pass those th- same things on to our children. Others of you here are like our three boys. Uh, They were in the Lord's church, a biblical church, from the time of my wife's pregnancy. And they learned the things of God. Uh, They learned them not just from my wife and I. They learned them from a pastor. They learned them from deacons. They learned them from faithful children's workers and teen workers. And all their life, they were exposed to the same things. Hear me when I say, regardless of whether you are like my wife and I and not exposed to them until you were adults, or you were like our children and were exposed to them both in your home and church, there are some things no one has a right to change. Listen, preaching is a Bible method. Uh, my Bible still says it, please God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. My Bible still says, after speaking about the inspiration of Scripture, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Listen, it is a Bible method, and no one has the right to change it. Soul winning and evangelism are a Bible method. No one has the right to decide what well, doesn't matter anymore if I'm a witness. Personal holiness and separation from the world are biblical doctrines. Listen, those doctrines are not only biblical, they have characterized biblical Christians for centuries. And hear me when I say no skinny, jean-wearing, stool-sitting lead elder has a right to take them off the spiritual menu. Listen, the value of assembling in the local church with God's people has always been of great value. No one has the right who's healthy to say, well, all I need is live stream. All I need is a blog. All I need is uh, to listen to this message here and there. Listen, there are things that Jesus Christ will not give you if you are a believer unless you are in one of His churches. Nobody has a right to change it. Now, some of you understand that we've been given a sacred trust by grandparents and parents and faithful preachers, and those things are not ours to change. You and I, whether we like it or not, are a link and a chain that goes back. To the first church Jesus planted in Capernaum when he was the pastor and the 12 apostles were the preachers, and there was a whole slew of people with a gift of ministry who made everything happen behind the scenes for these big assemblies. We are a link in that chain. We did not start in America in 1980. And you and I are either going to decide I am a link in a very ancient chain and that Christianity is not like my smartphone that changes every five years and needs to be changed. There are some things that you and I have no business changing. We are to pass the same thing on. I remember my pastor getting red face in his vein popping out in his forehead. I remember his commitment to the church. I remember his love for God, his love for me. I remember him preaching and saying things that I didn't like sometimes. Sometimes they corrected me. I remember that. I remember getting sick of being corrected sometimes, but I remember him correcting me. I remember him just, for whatever reason, seeing something in me. Giving me some of his time. I remember my heart being stirred by music that was focused on the words and the melody, not the beat. You you have no idea the difference in flesh and spirit. There are a lot of things that make your spirit feel. I remember the love I had for the people of God. I remember the love they had for me. Not shockingly, I was pretty rough. Listen, those same things are supposed to characterize faithful New Testament churches today as well. No one has the right to change this platform into an entertainment venue. Listen, if they had lights in the first century, they didn't dim them to start the service where you couldn't read the Bible they were carrying in their hand. If they had dry ice, they could produce fog. Listen, they didn't do it to stir the senses of the people because Americans have no idea the difference in when their flesh is being stirred and when God the Spirit stirs them with nothing else around, no ambiance, just the Spirit of the living God moving on the truth. Listen, that's what our world needs today. The same thing. They had the unsearchable riches of Christ. They had sound Bible doctrine. They had their love for the Lord Jesus. And they refused to turn the Lord's church into a political platform or a social activist platform. They just preached Christ and they warned people of judgment to come and the wonderful Savior who died for them. Listen, today, people survey communities to find out what people want in the church. And what I'm telling you is that's like going to the garbage can for your lunch. The church is not about what this world wants. The church is about what Jesus wants. And anybody in this world who wants in a church what Jesus wants in a church ought to be able to come and find it. Amen. Amen. We have a changeless savior, and we have some spiritual truths that should be passed on to every generation, even though some of them are not easy. Let me ask you this morning, will you be part of learning and passing on the same things? Or will you be part of corrupting the next generation? Will you be fooled by the lie that Christianity is no different than your computer? that needs new software and updates all the time, rather than same, similar, spiritual truths written in the Word of God that are timeless and eternal. Amen. Which gets us to our last thing. Number three. We need to build as much consistency in our own character as we can Amen. to live a godly life. Turn back just a few pages of 1 Timothy chapter 2. Say, Brother Wally, you're wound tight this morning. Well, sometimes I am. Amen. By the way, I'd make sure that I don't ever all the way unwind. That's backsliding. Right. Notice one of the reasons we pray for our leaders is so we can have freedom to live a godly life. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, I exhort therefore that First of all, supplications, prayers, intercession, giving of thanks, be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority. Why? That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. By the way, the word godly means like God. So that means if you and I are going to be godly and God is immutable, there ought to be some aspects of our life that are changeless. Look at chapter 4 of 1 Timothy in verse 7. He says, but refuse profane and old wives' fables. Exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Notice that there's some effort you're going to have to make exercise to become more godly, to be like God. And God is immutable. That means a part of good character is consistency. Notice what he says in chapter 6, verse 3. If any person teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words... Even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he's proud and knowing nothing. But doting about questions and strifes of words whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmising. Notice that anybody who teaches that godliness isn't important is proud and ignorant. Yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of New Testament verses. That teaches us that believers are supposed to live godly lives to be more like God. And so because God is unchangeable, He is immutable, you and I need to have some unchangeable things in our life. Listen, I'm not talking about not changing or working on things in your life that need to be improved. I'm not talking about our willingness to ever do something in a different manner. I'm not talking about our willingness to listen to someone who's trying to help us. I am saying this, listen, you and I need to find the way which God says is good and right, and we need to get in it and stay in it and not change it. I'm talking about being consistent in your beliefs. I've been a believer now uh, 38 years, almost 39 years. I couldn't tell you the people I've known over the decades who once loudly said they believed this and then shortly thereafter loudly said they believed something else. Listen, until you know what this book says, just shut up. When you find the right way, make the effort, get in it and stay in it. I'm saying consistency. Have you ever thought about how much consistency helps the people that look to us? You really think Jesus was grumpy in the morning before his first cup of coffee? You really think that after a hard day that he was nasty to his disciples?. Do you really think that he said, "Guys, I know I'm really mean tonight, but I'm tired. Do you really think that Jesus was a kind of guy who was like moody and one day he's yay, and the next day, rah, 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 rah. Or, or was he an immutable savior? He, he was basically the same all the time. The things that made him angry one day made him angry the next. The things that made him happy, they made him happy the next. You always knew what you could expect from Jesus. And that is a part of godly character. I'm talking to people this morning and Christ is your Savior and your spouse has no idea who's coming home from work or what they're coming home to after work. And you know that and you don't care. There's people in here, if you were describing yourself, one of the ways you describe yourself is, well, you know, I'm a little bit hard to get along with. Can can I just say to you, if you would make that observation about yourself, don't you really think you ought to change that? Amen. Amen? Amen? Godliness and godly character is like this. It's not like this. And some of you are proud that you're like this. True. Can, can I give you a one word message? Repent. Amen. Yield Amen. to the Spirit. See, Brother Wally, do you perfectly do that? No. But I try to. Amen. Right. And I don't ever excuse it. When I'm not. You said, what? Well, I want to be more like Jesus. The immutable savior. Amen. Amen. You'd quietly stand.